listening to a podcast from Light FM. The Light Breakfast with Asha and Nan. On You've Got Mail today, we're talking to consultant neurologist and robotic surgeon at Prince Court Medical Center, Dr. Datish Daneshwar, about testicular cancer. Dr. Datish, how common is testicular cancer in Malaysia? Well, thankfully, not that common, but it still is up there in the top 10 cancers in men. So it's probably number nine or number 10 of uh, in the list of the most common cancers found in Malaysian men. Okay. So um, still important, of course, thankfully not that high, but definitely something to keep an eye out for and pay attention to. And speaking about keeping an eye out, what, what would be like immediate signs and symptoms of testicular cancer in Malaysian men? What should we be looking out for? Generally, men should be very well accustomed with their testicles. There's no, there's no reason not to be. You should be very familiar with them. They're a part of your body. You should know how they feel, how their size. You should be able to detect any sort of abnormality in them at any given time. Even symptoms for that matter. They should not be aching. There should not be any pain. They should not feel like they're a bother to you. So any change in how your testicles look or feel, that should be the first sign that there is something not right and you should come and see a doctor to get an opinion whether there could be an abnormality. Of course, the most important thing is at which age you are in also. Now, testicular cancer, unfortunately, is a cancer which usually affects the younger population. It affects men who are usually between the ages of 20 to 40. And that is what makes it quite a tragedy if we lose out trying to catch them early and uh, offer them a curative option because that's the most productive time of your life. So any change in how your testicle feels, looks, or any change in symptoms related to your um, private part, that should prompt you to come and see a doctor quickly. What kind of screening methods are there for testicular cancer? Unfortunately, no well-established program or protocol. Mm-hmm. The most important thing is for them to examine self-examination. So self-examination of your testicles is something that we will try to promote and to teach our patients whenever we can. And uh, in certain countries, this is taught at the level of in school itself, that boys are encouraged to feel themselves, if, if, you, if I may mm-hmm. say so, yeah. every week once. Um, they are encouraged, especially when they're having a bath, because uh, when you have a bath, and especially if you're bathing with warm water, the scrotum usually becomes a bit more relaxed. It becomes a little easier for you to palpate your testicles. And if they find any abnormality, they're supposed to report it to the school nurse or to their parents and then from them to go and see a doctor. Well, so this would be the perfect opportunity then. Could you perhaps walk us through a, a step-by-step self-examination? <laughs> All right, I'll try. Of course, you're in the shower. Um, then once you have uh, turned on the water for a little while and you're a bit more relaxed, feel your testicles. You can start, depending on whether you're right-handed or left-handed, you start on that same side. So you start from the root of the scrotum, which is up and then feel all the way down and then go down to the bottom to feel whether there's any discomfort, any change in the consistency, any change in the size, then repeat it on the opposite side also. The thing that is most important is if you start having any discomfort, if you find that there's a change in any, the consistency or how smooth the testicle feels, those two things should prompt you to quickly get some medical attention. With you talking about like changes like that, 
um, is it helpful to actually use a mirror as well? Because I know, for example, we're told with breast examinations that things change through, you know, ovulation time. And so, mm. you know, uh, it's an organic thing. So, you know, you need to get used to those changes. Same thing happened for testicles? Mirrors help? No, uh, unfortunately not, because the testicles are well very small one and uh, hidden behind the scrotum. So you will very rarely pick up an early uh, growth or early change that is visible. So once it becomes visible like this, where you can see standing in front of a mirror, that's usually already a bit late. That means you've caught it a bit late. And so that's why we encourage them to do it without the need of doing it in front of a mirror. So then there would be circumstances under which um, you might not visually be able to to uh, to see anything. But also, I think without experiencing any discomfort, I, I think typically most men, if I don't feel anything, then I, I don't need to, you know, I, I don't need to visually confirm, right? Yeah. That's why we tend to miss out on it, yeah? Correct, absolutely. So that's why we encourage this palpation, that you have to feel it yourself, you have to palpate your testicles, and if you feel anything abnormal, don't just by the fact that it's discomfort or uncomfortable, but the fact that it feels different in terms of its consistency, its size, or there's an unusual bump somewhere which you cannot explain, that should prompt you to come and see a doctor immediately. So when you say sort of feeling something, I think it's really helpful to people to understand what's a normal lump and what isn't. Norm, would you be able to know what's a normal lump and what isn't? I mean... I, in my particular case, yes, because I'm, I'm quite familiar because uh, the, there is a, yeah, there's sort of a history in the family and uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm aware. Uh, but perhaps, Don, if, if you could help us explain what might be a heart lump, what might that feel like? Well, the testicle, I would uh, probably akin it to a squash ball maybe, mm. approximately. That kind of consistency, I would say, but of course, a bit, a little bit harder. A softball, a squash ball can be squeezed. A testicle usually can't be squeezed that much, but consistency wise is approximately the same like a squash ball. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you feel, the, 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 the bottom line is the testicle should be smooth all around. Mm. The consistency is one thing, but the main thing is it should be smooth all around. There shouldn't be any bumps or any irregular on the surface of the testicle when you palpate it with your fingers. So any irregularity or any bump or any change in how the, cons- um, the smoothness of the testicle feels that itself can be an indication that there's something going on there. Doc, we all know that early detection is key. So how can we get more men to, you know, get on board with it? Taking a more responsible step towards looking after themselves. I mean, in the sense, I think looking after yourself or paying attention to yourself should not be equated to vanity. That's another problem with men also, I think. To dispel that thing that it's not vanity. It's actually looking after yourself because you'll be more productive. You look after your family better. It keeps you ticking longer, etc., etc. I think that requires a little bit of a rhetoric. When we talk about men and men's health awareness month, we always talk about the most sinister things. We only talk about prostate cancer. But there's so many other things in men's health which men do not want to address. Like, for example, you need to get up at night to pee. That's not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You go to the pub and have a drink with your friends and you're the only one who runs to the toilet every half an hour. That's not supposed to be. You dribble a urine in your underwear once in a while. That's not supposed to be. Do you have problems in your bedroom life? I mean, are you not performing the way you're supposed to perform when you're in your 40s and all you can think of is because I had that extra cigarette last night? No, no, that's not supposed to happen. But these things need discussion because there are other reasons for this. And these things are nowadays with modern medicine and um, the knowledge that we have can easily be treated and cured if you find the right thing 
or the right problem that they could be having. So I think what is important is men need to understand that any change that bothers them in their daily life in terms of their sexual function, urinary function, should prompt them to actually come and seek attention because it may be something very simple which can actually change or be cured. What would you advise a patient or someone who's worried about this um, to do to feel more comfortable about starting that conversation? You know, I always tell them one thing when I first see them. Keep calm and let go of your ego. Men, problem is the ego. The problem is for them, they rather not know than know. There is this embarrassment that they have, especially when it comes to talking about sexual health mm. and your, your private parts down there. But the bottom line is this. Most of the time, the problem can be treated, can be sorted. Most of the time, the problem may not be the fault of the patient itself. It may be an aging process. It may be something related to just the lifestyle they live. And if they have a discussion, they can actually improve their quality of life. The problem is a lot of men do not understand this, but when they have a problem and if they don't address it, the person suffering is not them alone. It's actually the family also. It's their partner, maybe their children, maybe at work, their work colleagues. There's always something that will change in them and affect the people around them also. So it's not only for the men himself, but it's actually for the people around him that he should pay more attention to himself. And if there's something amiss, come and get attention. Come and see somebody, talk, have a chat about it. Would a man then therefore, uh, if they suspect that something is amiss, should they be presenting themselves directly to a urologist or would they necessarily go to a GP first and then get a referral? Or What's, what's the, the well, path? Uh, I, think, I think that now comes to where in the country you are based where you're working and what kind of uh, resources are available to you. I mean, GPs are fantastic. They're supposed to be the gatekeepers for us. I'm sure you can go to a GP and he'll be able to pick up uh, things quite easily and refer you. But yes, if you have the access to a urologist directly and you can come walk into a hospital and see somebody who is a little bit more specialized, there's no harm at all. I mean, you skip you skip one step. So yeah, that's it really depends. But nevertheless... The GP should be the gatekeeper, I think, at, in most places. And they are usually well-equipped to understand and to direct you to where to go if need arises. When you talk about something like breast cancer, you can have uh, aesthetic operations to kind of um, add on a nipple, so to speak, or even the whole breast, breast reconstruction surgery. Is there such a thing when it comes to testicular cancer? Lo and behold, yes. Okay. <laughs> Thankfully, yes. Thankfully, yes, we have silicon prosthesis that can be fit in to give the man a little bit more balance, so to say. Okay. So, yes, it's available. And uh, I would say up to 50% of the patients I treat will opt for it because they, um, they do understand the psychological impact uh, that this may have. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's quite a simple thing and it's definitely available, yes. On You've Got Mail today, we've been talking about testicular cancer from a medical perspective. But now we turn to a testicular cancer survivor's perspective. He was in his mid-30s when he received his diagnosis. Here's Mahmoud's story, not his name, and his voice has been modified to protect his privacy. Can you tell us what was going through your mind when you were first diagnosed? The first thing that went through my mind was, 
what was going to happen to me. So it was a very heavy feeling. It took a very heavy emotional and mental toll on me. And I also wasn't certain of what's going to happen to me, you know, going forward. It was just a very hazy picture, you know, because I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Is it truly serious? It's just a heavy feeling. Going through all of that, how open were you able to be about having testicular cancer? Not that open. First of all, because it was testicular cancer, it's not something that I wanted to talk about. I was very closed at the beginning. I only sought out close family members and close friends and some of my very close colleagues and told them in complete confidence that it will not be revealed. That was about as far as I went. I wasn't fully open about it at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your treatment journey? What to your mind was the most significant change that you saw in yourself during that process? In terms of treatment, I was fortunate enough to be staged at stage one. So what that means is that the cancer was isolated within my testes and it didn't spread to anywhere else or any other part of my body. In that sense, I didn't have to go through any form of chemotherapy, so I was fortunate. But I had to undergo very strict observation period of five years. So five years is when this cancer could relapse. During that period, it was just a period of very high uncertainty because I wasn't doing chemo. I had to go through tests. It started off every three months. I had to do scans. I had to do tests. And every test was a very scary part of my life at that time because you just didn't know what the test results would say. So your therapy, what kind of therapy? Because you said you didn't have chemotherapy, what you actually went through in terms of treatment. So in terms of treatment, if the cancer is at stage one, you could go about it two ways. Because the cancer has not spread, you could be on strict observation. So that means no therapy. It really is just like keep testing and see how it develops. And the other way, which I I heard is also common, is to go through maybe one or two cycles of chemotherapy. Was that anything that you were told to avoid or things that you were actively told to do in that five-year period? Actually, it was the best advice I got from both my urologist, which is the men's health doctor, and also the oncologist, which is the cancer specialist, is to live life as normally as possible, as I've always done. And that's what I did. I didn't do anything special. I tried to keep to a healthy lifestyle. So are you cancer-free? So now, last year, I was cancer-free. The years before that, yeah, I was living with testicular cancer. What was your immediate reaction when you heard the words, you're cancer-free? Oh, I was very happy. I was very happy and I immediately wanted to celebrate, of course. Because <laughs> the doctor said like, okay, the next time I see you, probably be when we bump into each other at the mall or something, you know, instead of in the hospital. After uh-huh. you crested the mountain, you're cancer-free. Did you then start to open up and talk about your testicular cancer journey? Yes, yes, I did to more and more people. I felt a lot more confident actually to talk about it because I'm done with it. And mainly it is to really let people know that this thing exists and it can happen to anyone. The most important thing that can be done is to give mental and emotional support to not just people with testicular cancer, but people facing all forms of cancer in general. You know, Ash, I sort of reckon that that has a lot to do with the the psychological impact of things because you are certainly concerned about yourself but then you're probably in the back of your mind thinking about all the people who are around you as well I, I don't think you want to burden someone I mean that's probably the thinking but on the flip side of that certainly if you do 
share, then you will be able to get support from as many people as possible, right? Exactly. It's like a double-edged sword of, of wanting to do things privately, but also the need, as you say, to have support. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Datesh, for all of your information earlier and Mahmoud for sharing a little bit of your story. You can listen to this interview again on the Light Breakfast podcast. That's on the Shock app. You've been listening to a Light FM podcast on Shock. That's S-Y-O-K.